What's up, podcast? Today, Rick Miner stops by and we talk real estate and politics. Enjoy. Coming to you from Tallahassee, the sunshine capital of the world, this is the Holland and Pick Show, your source for local interviews, tips, and strategies that will help you take your real estate hustle to the next level. Next level. Welcome to another episode of Holland and Picked. I'm your host, Tom Holland, here with my co-host, Jason Picked. And our guest today is Rick Miner. Hey, Tom. It's good to be here. So, Rick, before we get into uh, some of the meat of our our interview, why don't you just give us some background on your story, what you're involved with, all that kind of stuff. Sure. I I was born and raised in Florida. I've lived all over the state and then um, came to Tallahassee in 2001, I think, uh, 2002, and fell in love with it. Uh, This is the. It it didn't take long for me to realize that this is my home. And so uh, since that time, for the last um, 17, 18 years, I've been um, working here, getting involved in a whole host of different things uh, within the community. I've been involved in politics as well. And um, during that time, worked for a lot of different areas, Uh, was chief of staff to the uh, mayor of Tallahassee for a time, have done a lot of public policy work uh, for states and and localities and um, ran for Ran for office before, but uh, last year ran for a county commission once John Daly, who, who had been my predecessor in this seat, decided to run for mayor. So when that seat opened up, I, I, I ran, ran for county commission and was fortunate enough to win in August of 2018 and was sworn in in November. And uh, since then, I've been um, getting used to the, 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 the day in, day out of being a county commissioner. <laughs> we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Jody basically told us, your meetings all day long. Yeah. Right, back to back meetings over and over again. Why? So I'm I'm interested. Why Why politics? I really like the idea of making a difference. Um, you know, it um, we're on this planet for a short amount of time. You know, when I'm I say this a lot. When I'm 90 years old and and I'm on a bed somewhere and nurses are taking care of me, I want to look back and think that I did my part to try to make Tallahassee and Leon County a better place. I like that. So I mean, I see you all over the news in the mornings, right? So tell us about some of the different stuff. What was the What was the thing you're telling us he was involved with earlier? Big Ben, Second Harvest of Big Ben. Thank oh, yeah. you. By the way, that other voice is uh, Jody Wilkoff. She's my uh, chief of staff at the county commission, so she keeps me sane. <laughs> <laughs> but what what you were alluding to, uh, Tom, was I. I've got two jobs. Um, I, I, I work uh, on the county commission and uh, also serve as a CEO of Second Harvest of the Big Bend. Uh, Second Harvest is a is a food bank. It's the, the, the food bank for the, the north central Florida region. We are part of a 200 food bank network across the country called Feeding America. And we're growing very fast. Just, just the last three years, we've increased our food distribution by 84%. Uh, wow. We're going to finish this fiscal year with uh, more than 12 million pounds of food distributed just through the Big Bend, which is which is huge. So uh, uh, really proud of that. At the same time, we're growing and expanding. We've also, for the first time in many years, seen a decline in food insecurity or hunger throughout the Big Bend. So it's um, it's really uh, satisfying to see that this work that my team and I are working on at Second Harvest is paying off. 84% is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tremendous amount. And our staff have not grown at the same rate. So, I mean, we haven't doubled staff in three years. So, uh, um, it, they're working pretty hard. So, um, your what's your wife's name? Jessica. Jessica. So, is she still teaching at Florida State? No, not anymore. And, and for the listeners out there, uh, apparently my wife, Jessica LeMinor, taught uh, Tom here. So, uh, what was the, what was the class? I don't I don't remember. It was like oh, a non-profit. <laughs> yeah, like I said uh, before we came on there, I probably wasn't the best student in that class. And but 
I somehow <laughs> got through it and uh, I don't know, hopefully I learned something, but yeah. Yeah. So actually my wife, Jessica, she is, um, she had been really involved in, in the nonprofit sector uh, and had worked as the executive director for INI, which is the Institute for Nonprofit Innovation and Excellence. It took me about three months to learn how to say that. But um, but now she, probably about six months ago, she got her license and has been a realtor now. So uh, she loves it. Um, she, she loves the business and the industry and uh, likes to be her own boss. So I think that's a big part of the appeal. Well, Rick, tell us about your experience with real estate and people who invest in real estate, because that's really the target audience for our podcast. Yes, yes, very much. Well, I'm married to one, um, mm-hmm. so we talk about real estate a lot. Um, you know, one thing that uh, that I try to do is, and Jody here has helped me with this, is that we have regular meetings with the Tallahassee Board of Realtor Leadership. Um, and we've, we've had one meeting already. We have another meeting coming up where we just sit down and talk about the issues of the day. You know, we talk about the real estate market, talk about talk about this forum that we're going to talk about in a few minutes, yeah. and and talk about what 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 they see coming down the pike. As I tell them, and, and I'll tell your listeners right now, I mean, if if our realtors are doing well, that means our overall economy is doing well. And so I've, I've told that to them several times. I believe it. And, uh, and, and, and realtors are a way of kind of having their finger on the pulse of how this economy is going. Have you guys had a chance to talk any about affordable housing? Yes, yes, all the time. One thing that Jessica, my wife, as well as other realtors have, have told me is that they're, I'm hearing there's a dearth of affordable quality housing. A lot of realtors will tell me, my wife included, that they have a queue of potential clients looking for homes within the, I don't know, the, the 150000 to 200000 range. And there are homes out there that were within that price range, but not in neighborhoods where people feel safe, not in neighborhoods where people feel like they would want to raise their family. So my wife, Jessica, as well as other realtors, in fact, at a TBR meeting recently, we had a Q&A session and, and one, of the, one of the realtors said, help us find high quality affordable housing. Not, not, not the, when people hear affordable housing, they often think, Section 8, which which is fine, right? But that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the affordable housing that is desirable, where, where people can raise their families in a safe neighborhood and not feel like um, uh, or, or feel like they're in a good spot. So have you guys talked about how you could actually provide for some affordable housing? It's tough, right? Because, I mean, you know, the market drives a lot of that. Um, and and you all know, and we can talk about this, is, you know, the, the the properties with the highest profit margin are the student housing units, right? I mean, you can you can charge, you know, 2000 for a unit, you know, and then they split up to, by four ways for four students, each paying $500. And, you know, so that type of model has really been... Um, helpful to local developers because the margin on that is is so great. But, you know, you can't really necessarily have a, a family, a, a middle income family or, or lower income family uh, move into a unit uh, that's, that's $2,000 a month. So therein lies the problem, right? You know, one thing that we can do to encourage to, to help with the market is, you know, as we're looking for large projects, try to help encourage the developers to, to set aside some of that for, for affordable housing. You know, that's one way to do it. But it's, you know, the, the, there is a there is a customer base, a client base for affordable housing that is high quality in neighborhoods that people can uh, can be proud of. Have you considered the fact that requiring developers to set aside a certain number of their units for affordable housing limits the number of developers who could actually develop those type of projects? Yeah. 
to to pretty much one in Tallahassee. Well, you know, it's um it's tough, right? Because how the the market forces are not creating necessarily a a, a surplus of that type of even though there's a client base for it. You know, the 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 market's not creating that type of housing in, in any kind of good supply. Uh, so it's yeah, it, it's a difficult situation. We've got to find ways where we can we can have more affordable housing because the the long term effects of that are 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 not healthy for our economy. Right? You've got a whole segment of the population within that range that are not able to find suitable housing. It, they, they've got a couple of choices. One is to is to uh, is to basically resign themselves toward housing options that are not in neighborhoods that they feel safe in, or overbuy or go to a place where they're renting and pay more in rent than they can afford. That hits into their discretionary income for other ways. Or they have to go outside uh, the urban services area, you know, where, where property is cheaper. Uh, and that creates more sprawl for us. So, I mean, we've got a host of potential, you know, uh, options for this segment of the population. None of them are good for them as well as for us as participants of this economy. So, the more ways we can try to encourage affordable quality housing within the USA, within the city limits is a good thing. Well, being intimately involved in all this and having done some or attempted to do some development, I'll give you my two cents. You know, there's one really big development that's going on right now, and they are setting aside some of their units for affordable housing. And I was there showing some property to a client yesterday, and the designated agent for the for the subdivision was talking about how their affordable homes that they were obviously required to set aside were starting in the two hundred and thirty and two hundred and forty thousand dollar range. And as you just mentioned, what's really affordable is more like one fifty to two hundred. Right. Okay. Affordable for who? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, affordable in the sense that well, that met whatever guidelines had been established based on median income or percentage of sales in the neighborhood or whatever those are. Um, But one of the things that I think would be really helpful would be looking into how the city and county comprehensive plan forces developers to spend a lot of money, uh, infrastructure money on stormwater. Stormwater is obviously important. We don't want the city to be flooded or the county to be flooded. Um, But if you go around a lot of these new developments, a ton of them are eaten up with holding ponds. Yeah. And what holding funds do, obviously, is there's a cost to build them, but that's also less land to build on. Yes. So you have fewer lots. So every lot is more expensive, not only because there are fewer of them, but because you had this money to build the holding pond. And now to actually make a profit on a house, you have to build a more expensive home because you have to recoup the investment in the lot. Yeah. So if there are a way to, and I've had this discussion with a former city commissioner, and he laughed at me and said, well, if we spent money on upgrading the uh, stormwater facilities, then we'd have to take money away from parks. And I said, yeah, we have a finite budget. Those are tough decisions that we have to make, but we're kind of nationally reno- renowned for parks. We don't necessarily need more parks. Um, if we upgraded our stormwater facilities to allow more of the discharge to go into those facilities and required less to be held on site, that would allow for more developable land, which hopefully then would drive down the cost of lots and drive down the cost of housing. Yeah, It would also help um, for urban infill. I've been involved in a couple urban info projects that never really got off the ground because we were going to be required when we went to our initial planning meetings with the city to do holding ponds on infill development. One of them was right by the Lake Ella Publix, mm-hmm. uh, behind the Lake Ella Publix, where we had about an acre of land. And they were going to require us to put a holding pond, which on a very small amount of land took up a large percentage of it. And we lost about a third of our lots and weren't able to move the project forward. And I'm thinking, we're right on a major thoroughfare. How can we not just dump all that water into the city stormwater facilities? And they said, well, they're just too old. They can't handle it. And so that project never never got off the ground. Some investor bought it. They kept what was there instead of increasing the density. Yeah. Um, of course, the allowable density. But instead of increasing the density and having more units right there in town, which you were talking about earlier, to 
prevent sprawl, it was never able, never able to get off the ground because they would have made us uh, put in the stormwater pond. That's a good point. And, you know, we are right at the point now where we can maybe do something about that. You know, we're doing the comp plan revisions. I, I'm sure you all have heard about those. Uh, we're doing a long series of, of public meetings now where we're asking for input. And um, at the same time we're doing that, we're also working on the, the budget for the next fiscal year. And the, the issue with the stormwater ponds is that, you know, you all are realtors. Everyone that's listening is realtors. I'm sure you all know this. But, uh, you know, Tallahassee, these large parts of our property, of our land, are, are, are red clay, which is impervious. So that water will just kind of sit there as opposed to down in South Florida where it's sand, where the water just goes straight down. And so that necessitates... Uh, I'll get to the other point about the stormwater facilities in a second, but that necessitates, in some cases, in some parts of Tallahassee, as much as 50% of your property with a with a stormwater pond, 50% on a, on property that people invested in and, and purchased and want to develop on, right? So I hear your point. In some cases, it's as little as 15 to 20%, but in others, it's 50. It all depends on the topography of of the of the land and and what what is underneath, whether it's dirt or or, or clay. One way to get around some of that problem, because because what we don't want is have Tallahassee be passed over by potential investors because simply we've got red clay, and which means that our stormwater requirements, our stormwater pond requirements are much higher than than elsewhere down in South Florida, right? Because if you've got X number of dollars to, to invest and you're being restricted by a 50% stormwater pond on your property, you can go somewhere else and only require 15%. Um, so one way to circumvent that problem and to address that problem would be to do what you're talking about, you know, allow more water to go into our stormwater facilities. That'd be one way. That'd be a great way to have to, to, to help uh, encourage more investment by allowing higher density in our in our land. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear you guys are considering that. Yeah, definitely. We should. It's, it's worth considering because um, I've heard it. You know, I've, I've heard people talk about how they're frustrated. I, mean, I, I want people and we'll get to this when we talk about the forum, but I want investors, whether they're local, whether they're from out of out of town or out of state, I want them to be excited about investing here in Tallahassee and Leon County. Um, that's because if if they are, then we've got a greater ch- chance of success in this town for the future, right? If they come here and see <laughs> restriction after restriction, whether it's natural or 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 not, um, there are other places they can go. So what I want to do as a county commissioner is find that right balance between having investors feel like they they have a welcoming place here where they can get excited about investing in Tallahassee, um, and yet still balancing that with the needs of our neighborhoods, which want to retain the things that make Tallahassee special: our parks, you know, our sidewalks, you know, those types of things. Um, uh, having that right balance is what my goal is as a county commissioner. Nothing like a retention pond restriction to put a damper on your investment <laughs> enthusiasm, you know? Yeah. Have you ever yeah. seen that retention pond behind my house? That thing is like, it's got to be like two football fields put together. Yeah. There are a lot of really big ones. In These town. poor yeah, guys were trying to mow it really yesterday ones. and it was like, so you mentioned the, um, you mentioned the forum. Let's just talk about that. Tell me. Yeah. Tell me what you got going. Well, one thing, and I kind of just alluded to it a second ago, you know, in my short time on the county commission, and even before then, I'd often talk with investors here locally who really care about this place, really care about about Leon County and Tallahassee. They they've grown up here. They their kids go to school here. They're neighbors with you know each other, and and they want what's best for this community. They also happen to invest in projects, right? And then on the other side, you've got uh, neighborhood advocates who uh, care very again. They've 
grown up here, their kids go to school here. They care very much about keeping or retaining the things that make Tallahassee special. You know, our our parks. You know, the 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 trails. I mean, the the things, the the trees. Um, but often those two sides are at odds with each other, and there are they often don't talk with each other. So one thing that uh, we've talked about with the county staff, and we're we're in the planning stages of this, is having a forum where we get those two different perspectives together in one room on one panel talking about what their what their uh, vision is for the future of Tallahassee. The neighborhood advocates, they don't always hear that you know, the folks that are our investors here uh, in Tallahassee care very much about what happens to Tallahassee. Uh, they've got a, they've got a, literally, they've got skin in the game, right? They, they want to make sure that this is a great place to live and they want to keep it uh, being a great place to live. Um, the neighborhood advocates don't always hear that. On the other side, you know, the developers don't always hear what are very rational concerns that many neighborhood uh, uh, advocates have about, about keeping this place special. Nothing against Orlando. I hope we don't get tweets about Orlando, but uh, you know, you go to Orlando or, or Tampa or South Florida, uh, and it's an asphalt jungle, right? I mean, I I, I would not want to live in. I, I love Tallahassee. I, I'm raising my two daughters here. I love it. Um, there's, you know, I I, um, I couldn't imagine raising them in a, in a different place that had a different uh, um, a different approach to our growth, to their growth. So really, the purpose of the forum is to bring those two groups together. The idea, yes, the idea is, and and the 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 leading question is, how can we in Tallahassee make sure that we have a thriving economy with um, uh, investment opportunities that people can get excited about, and at the same time um, retain the things that we consider special about Tallahassee? How can, how can we have our cake and eat it too? When are you hoping to start the forum? Um, I think we're going to do it in May or maybe early June. So it's it's coming up soon. We don't have the date yet. Uh, but we started reaching out to different panelists, um, and it's going to be actually part of the Village Square uh, speakers' uh, agenda. So um, one thing we didn't want to have happen was get these two opposing points of view together and um, <laughs> have chairs fights. flying. You know, right. Gerardo with the you know broken nose and you know all that kind of stuff. We did not want that. Um, so the Village Square has a great uh, format and a reputation of of coming in um, having controversial topics. But yet presenting it and encouraging the, de- the, the debate in a way that um, is uh, as devoid of, of uh, pol- passion and anger as possible, right? It's policy discussions. Let's let's let, let's kind of check our, our our emotions, our heated emotions at the door, and and just really have a, a, a policy discussion about the merits of what we're talking about. Village Square has a long history of doing that. Uh, we thought it'd be a good opportunity to work with Village Square on this type of on that type of format. What we didn't want to have happen was have people go in, whether you're one side or the other, and come out with black eyes, right? I mean, it's it's not beneficial for us to have that type of forum. So we want to have these two two different perspectives come in, talk about it. Hopefully, the the goal for this forum is to hopefully walk away with a a greater appreciation for the other point of view. So how can people get involved? There are a lot of different ways you can. Uh, one thing you can do is you can go to the Leon County website and sign up for uh, my county commission newsletter. Okay. Uh, once we get the date set, we'll send an email out. The county commission website is leoncountyfl.gov. And from there, you can select the commissioners and, and go to my page and sign up for our newsletters. Another way is to uh, just keep in track of uh, Village Square on Facebook. Okay. okay, perfect. Are there any projects that you have slated to be discussed at that first meeting? 
we've talked about it. We, we talked about actually using other examples as a way to kind of show, and I want to be careful what I, how, I, how I phrase this because I'll just, I'll just tell you. Initially, we're thinking, well, can we point to other communities that have done it right? Well, that's not really the right way to look at it, right? Because every community's got a different set of cards. Tallahassee's been dealt a specific hand of cards. And how can you compare our hand to Orlando. Gainesville's, Orlando, Orlando's, right. Tampa's, Greenville, you know? Um, we, you know? We've got different uh, assets than any of those cities. So the right the, the right way to frame the question is like, well, how are the other are these other cities doing it right? That's not the right, right way to look at it. What we need to do is like, how are they able to, to use their resources and 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 be successful? How are they able to use what they were dealt to uh, to to maximize their success and create a thriving community? So what lessons can we learn from their approach that we can take here in Tallahassee? Not not looking over. And I just got back from the Greenville trip. You know that trip was not about looking at what Greenville has and what we don't. That really was the, the people who were doing that were missing the intent of the trip. You know. Greenville's got a river running through it, and they maximize that river for downtown, and it's it's beautiful down there. We don't have a river. What are we going to do about that? There's not much we can do about that, right? But we've got Cascades Park. We've got other things. You know, how, how did they use that river, and what steps did, what leadership did they have within the government, within the business community, and within the, the neighborhoods to get where they are today? How can we learn from those lessons and apply that to Tallahassee? So you're looking more at best practices than necessarily... Bingo. Trying to copy a... It took me 10 minutes to explain that. You did it in one sentence. But <laughs> yes, to, that's exactly what, what it is. So what's your what's your general take on kind of the state of the local economy? I mean, we've, we've talked before, just your interaction with local investors. What's your feel for how things are at the moment? I think it's good. You know, whenever I talk to someone, whether they're in the chamber or a, a small business owner, I'll say hello. And then the next thing out of my mouth is, how's business? And without exception for the last several months, it's been, it's it's good. It's going really well. We've been, some some people will say I've never been busier. You know, I think things are going really well. I uh, you know unemployment is is what three point three in the Big Bend. It's it's lower in Leon County. We're we're lower than the state average by a little bit. Industrial vacancies are are way down. You know things are things are going pretty well. Uh, I've even asked some folks, uh, some of the business leaders in town. Well, don't you see some potential dark clouds on the horizon? And you know, do you see things softening underneath you? And and I've not really heard much of that yet. So um, things are going pretty well. So how do you respond to the complaint that Tallahassee is just local and state government and the universities? And we don't really have anything else as far as business besides just the service sector stuff that sprouts up like lots of burger chains and mattress stores. Yeah, I talked about a lot during uh, I talked about that a lot during my campaign, and um, we're if you look at where we were 15, 20 years ago, and compare that to where we are today, I mean, we've got a much more vibrant economy, slightly more diverse, but we're not right, right where we need to be. The College students now, if you are, if you ask them twenty years ago, you know where you know what are you going to do after graduation? Often they'd say, "I'm out of here. See ya. You know, smell you later." But now a lot of them will say, "You know, this is actually a great place to live. You know, there's there's a lot of things to do. You Cascades Park, you got College Town, Gain Street. I mean, there, none of those things were here ten years ago." But to answer, but but regarding, we are still a government town. And one thing I talked about during the campaign and since then is helping us strategically make investments to where we can increase that diversity. One thing I've talked a lot about is is doubling down on recruiting businesses that are interested in the the Mag Lab, you know, and the other things at Innovation Park. Uh, we have the world's most powerful magnet in the world right here in Tallahassee. What what I've been advocating for 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 quite some time is is 
getting finding the right person to do business recruitment for us. You know, magnet technology is everywhere. It's in our cell phones. It's in, you know, it, it, it's in, there are tremendous opportunities for magnetics, not just now, but in the future. We need to find that narrow range of businesses uh, that are interested in coming here, going coming to Innovation Park and and using some of that research coming out of the Mag Lab for the future. That is our um that is our goose that it's laid a golden egg, you know, and we need to focus on that. Without that, without that competitive advantage, we're just like the other thousands of cities in this country that are trying to find companies to come relocate here. Um, let's let's use the thing that we have that is attractive to certain companies, and then and then reach those companies and entice them to come here. This is a great place to live. I mean, we uh, I know you guys probably got your Southern Living magazine you know issue just a couple weeks ago, uh, but <laughs> do you get that, Jason? I don't. <laughs> You guys got renew, um, but you know we are listed in Southern Magazine as one of the most livable cities in the South. And just recently, um, was it Livability named us one of the top hundred best cities to, to to live in the in the country. This is a great place to live, and it's not only great for old folks like me, but it's it's great for millennials. Um, and millennials are 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 seeing that. We just need to help diversify the economy more, as as you said, Jason. We need to have more tech jobs, more of the the creative class jobs that Richard Florida talks about. Um, and I think our ticket is is the Mag Lab and the other really great research that's being done at Innovation Park. I think that's really the place where we need to go. Where do you see the biggest opportunity for investors in the next one to five years, maybe? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've been talking about recently are the the opportunity zones, which are a, a federal program offered by the administration. It was basically passed into law in 2017. It allows uh, uh, investors from around the country to basically invest capital into projects in different census tracts uh, around the country, in different opportunity zones designated by the federal government. And when um, by investing your your capital gains into these projects, and if you hold on to that investment for 10 years, all your taxes on those capital gains are, are waived. So it's a good opportunity. Um, there are other cities around the country that are a little bit ahead of us in terms of, of reaching out to investors and putting portfolios to entice them. Right now, Tallahassee is in the stage of of trying to of of reaching out and trying to solicit investors, and then identifying projects that they can invest in. Uh, there are other cities. Atlanta, for example, is further along than than we are. They actually have a, a menu list, an a la carte menu list of different projects that are already ready and waiting, you know, ready for investors to to pick out. So you can go to a, uh, you can get a list from Atlanta, and they'll just bam, 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 it's a bam. Buffet of opportunities. Yeah, and then you know, if you're if you're an investor that's looking to 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 you know make some investment in capital, you can pick what you what you want. Uh, don't have to do much else other than that and, and just choose what you want and then it's ready to go. And then if it's on a tiered scale, but the longer you keep that investment in that project, the greater your, your taxes are, 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 are waived. So um, it's a great opportunity. Uh, one thing I, and the Office of Economic Vitality here is, is on it and they're working on it. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can work really quickly on that, get some of those um, projects identified and then encourage investors to, 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 to look here. So how can, how can investors take advantage? Are these opportunity zones available today in town? Yes. Uh, Tallahassee or Leon County has five opportunity zones um, identified. The best source for this is the Office of Economic Vitality. And I think the website is OEV for business. Uh, we'll get back to you on that. But uh, we'll if put you, that in the show notes page. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But if you, uh, you can either just Google Leon County uh, Office of Economic Vitality. And then from that website, you can go to uh, Opportunity Zones and get the latest. 
So you can also download a presentation that was made um, just a couple weeks ago on on the latest status of where we're at. So now the I, you know I, I'm bullish on opportunity zones. One thing as a county commissioner that I want to make sure that that we're cognizant of is making sure that the opportunity zone investments. Um, we want them to help the investors. We want it to make it worthwhile for them. We also need to make it worthwhile for the people that live here. So one issue, one potential issue about opportunity zones is that you've got a, an influx of, of money coming into a project in a um, um, underserved area of the community, right? So one thing that we're concerned about is gentrification. Um, so one thing that we all want to do, uh, well, I can't speak for others, but I, I know for myself, I want to make sure that we identify um, projects and opportunity zones that are good investments, not just for the investors, but also for the people that live there. Um, if you have gentrification happening to the extreme, all you're going to be doing is displacing the people that are there now, uh, having them go somewhere else, and it doesn't address the problem of, of, uh, of low income. So for our listeners, just define what you mean by gentrification. Gentrification is the idea that you have a, um, uh, a low-income or underserved area of the community uh, that, that receives an influx of, of capital, which increases the home values. And a lot of the folks that, that currently live there are renters. But over time, you see prices go up in that neighborhood. The folks that are living there can no longer afford to live there, so they have to find other sources or places to live. Um, um, it's controversial. You know, you're you're help, you're bringing new money into a, a, an area that that desperately needs it. Uh, but are you really addressing the community's problems if all you're doing is forcing those people out to go somewhere else? Um, what what uh, one way that local governments as well as state governments are are trying to address that is as you're investing in the in in the real property, you're also helping the people that live there with their own self sufficiency, right? So if you can, and this is a long term solution for a societal problem, right? But if you've got if you've got an area in the South Side, for example, that has um, high high school dropout rates, high crime, uh, high infant mortality—you know all the metrics that that show that this is a, a community, a, a neighborhood that's that's um, underserved. Um, if you make investments uh, to help those folks in terms of getting better jobs, uh, making sure they stay in high school and, and even go to college, helping provide job opportunities for folks in those neighborhoods. If you're able to find ways to help them become more self-sufficient at the, roughly the same time that you're increasing the property values, that's when you mitigate, you minimize the problem with gentrification. It certainly helps the people there who are property owners and who are living in the properties, Yes, not just renting them out, because that's helping them to create wealth. Yes. If they're actually living there, they've got a mortgage or maybe they don't have a mortgage. If they do have a mortgage, it's a fixed payment. That's not going up just because someone else is improving the neighborhood, but it is helping them to create wealth. If you look at these uh, at the low income neighborhoods in our in our county, you'll find that um, a lot of the, the folks that live in those neighborhoods are, are renters. And a lot of those owners are actually outside of town. So they're they're folks that, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily help us so much by having the, the property values increase because not not every case, but in many cases, those folks are out of town and, and reaping the gains of, of uh, those property values. There was some concern around the Frenchtown development, right? Do you have any thoughts on the activities there? You're talking about the, the big project up there now? All right, they got the, the huge uh, yeah. apartments that they've been working on. They get- yeah, you know, I, uh, I I definitely heard about that as the project was being proposed and, and approved by the, the city commission. Um, you know, that project did 
for better or worse, that's going to permanently change the makeup of Frenchtown, right? I mean, that's that's student housing uh, where you didn't have it before. You've got other neighborhoods just adjacent to that, you know, um, that um, have been there for for. For generations, we've you know Jody and I have met with a lot of the folks living in Frenchtown. It's not in my district, but but even though I'm elected to District Three, I consider you know everyone in Leon County. I, I work for them, uh, so you know it's 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 definitely going to change the makeup of Frenchtown. What uh, I think a lot of the folks in those in the surrounding areas, the surrounding homes, want is to to try to retain a lot of the the heritage that um, has been built up over the decades there. Yeah, makes sense. I have to ask you before we before we close out, and we can cut this out if we want, but what's your take on just the overall political environment in, in the country? Do you have one? In the country? Yeah, I, I'm hoping that it's not as, you know, if you turn on the news in the morning, you're like, man, what in the world is going on? But I'm hoping that's not the case at the, the county level, but maybe it is. Uh, well, if, if you're asking about the national politics, uh, I follow that pretty closely. You know, I there is a reason why we're in the situation that we're in right now. And I don't even know where you two stand, you know, Jason and Tom. I don't know where you sit on the ideological spectrum. I don't know if you're a supporter of the current occupant of the White House or not. I, I think there's a reason why we're in the situation that we're in. I, I think there are people throughout this country, in the Midwest in particular, in the South as well, that have for many years felt like they've been ignored. And and the economic situation in many of these areas is is has been on the decline. Uh, you've got the opioid crisis as well. I mean, you've got a lot of situations, factories closing. You know, I mean, we're a lot of a lot a large portion of the national population has been feeling like they've been ignored. I, I, I'll say it. I don't care. I mean, I, I don't support the current administration. I think that's taken us in the wrong direction. My personal belief is that in 2020, we elect somebody new as our president. But I can understand the frustration with many of the people who supported him. What I need to do uh, as someone from the other side of the aisle is seek to understand and listen to those people's concerns. Because the only way we're going to improve the country is by trying to lessen the the, the loggerheads that we're at and, and try to listen to each other and figure out how we address the problems that, that many parts of the country are suffering under right now and, and try to uh, address those. So. Makes sense. So what's next for you? I'm heads down working on the county commission. You know, when I was um, campaigning during the early voting days, uh, I would be out there in front of the polling stations. You know, you you can sit up there with your sign and can't get too close to the poll entrance, but you can wave to people and all that. And and I was out there every single day in the sun. And by the end of the by the end of the early voting, I looked like a piece of bacon. But as people were walking out, you could you could tell you could almost tell how they voted. If they look at you and smile, you know, you okay. Oh, that's probably a supporter. Some of them would come out and say, uh, Rick, I voted for you. Uh, you know, I, I I saw your ad on Facebook. I saw your TV commercial, whatever. I spoke to you before I walked in. I'm voting for you. What I want to tell you is to make it count. Make it count. I'm counting on you. And so that has never left me. I think about that all the time. And so, you know, I was just elected, sworn in last November. I've got, you know, three and a half years to really make a difference and to make it count. And so what I want to do with Jody's help and everyone else at the county is to make my time on the county commission um, matter and, and do something good for this community. So we're working on that. Rick Miner, County Commissioner, District 3. Glad to have you. Thank you for coming. Thanks, guys. Good to be here and happy to come back on anytime. Thanks for listening to another episode of Holland and Picked. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating on iTunes at hollandandpick.com forward slash iTunes.